This episode of No Wrong Answers is brought to you by Teach for America Kansas City, which believes teachers deserve to be celebrated and their voices elevated. Find out how you can join their movement of passionate educators in Kansas City by going to teachforamerica.org or find us on Twitter at TFA underscore KC or on Instagram at TFA KC. Virtual reality isn't just for gamers anymore. Some think it could be the next big innovation in teacher training. But our teachers have questions. Plus, in the latest Betsy breakdown, our teachers get heated over the question of whether a school should host the education secretary, even when that school's professed values don't match many of the policies expressed by the Trump administration. Those topics, plus, if you wouldn't spend $1,000 on an iPhone, what would you spend $1,000 on for your classroom? And as always, we end with kids these days on this episode of the No Wrong Answers podcast. Welcome to No Wrong Answers, the weekly podcast that gives you a teacherly take on the world. I'm your host, Kyle Palmer. I'm a former teacher turned public radio journalist, and I'm joined, as always, by a group of hardworking teachers into the school year, maybe... A little bit under the weather. <laughs> Let's introduce the Maddie Burkemper. The first time this school year. What do you teach? Hi, I teach fifth grade. Rebecca McIntosh, what do you teach? I teach students and their germs at alternative <laughs> schools. I'm so glad that you were able to pull yourself here. <laughs> Day 21, the traditional fall cold. And Jason Staliga, what do you teach? I teach those germ students at the high school in science. And you're a little bit... You're kind of out of the woods in terms of the, the sickness. You've 24 been... days of antibiotics, and I'm feeling great. And yeah. <laughs> in more ways than one. And Rebecca, you are a little bit more... Mine is new. This was a weekend <laughs> gift at the end of the week <laughs> from, from my little nuggets that I was happy to take home. And I'm going to take back to them in the morning. All right, we will sanitize the microphones after you will we leave need the studio. To. All three of them are, we should say, <laughs> public school teachers in the Kansas City metro area. Well, let's get to it. Uh, Many entrepreneurs, researchers, and plain old tech geeks think virtual reality is the next big thing in digital technology. You might immediately think of those chunky Oculus Rift headsets when you hear the words virtual reality. And indeed, VR gaming is a huge part of this emerging market. But in fact, there are a lot of other potential applications. Entrepreneur Magazine, for instance, notes that VR headsets are being piloted with dental patients. They watch soothing beach scenes to calm and distract them while they're having their teeth worked on. Also, researchers at Duke University say paraplegic patients were able to gain back some brain function associated with moving their legs when they donned VR headsets that made them play a soccer video game. And in many fields, from medicine to corporate retail, virtual reality is being used to train employees. And this is where this topic starts to relate to teaching. The University of New York in Buffalo has partnered with a local public charter school in that city and a tech startup to pilot a teacher training method that has prospective teachers log classroom hours through a virtual reality simulator. This story was first reported by Edwig. This is how they describe it. The trainees are shown videos shot on 360 video format. So they watch these videos through a VR headset connected to a smartphone. The videos are reportedly pretty realistic. They show real students in real classroom settings. The videos are, in fact, shot at this charter school that I referenced earlier, and depicts some pretty realistic scenarios. Ed Week reports that teacher trainees are posed with one video in which a boy in class is teasing another student, a girl. He throws balls of paper at her, pulls her hair, and eventually she gets up and slaps him. So the teacher trainees, I guess, have to deal with that situation in their VR headset. Now, this is, to be clear, a project in its beta testing phase. Ed Week notes that the interactivity of these videos right now is pretty low. Teachers 
can look around at the environment but can't really walk towards students or interact with students in the video. Still, the researchers and teacher ed educators involved in this program say VR provides a more visceral feeling to new teachers than simply watching flat screen videos during training. It puts them in a scenario, gets their heart rate going, gets them to feel what it might be like to stand in front of a class of misbehaving kids. We should also say this isn't the first foray in virtual reality for teacher training programs. There is a similar program at the University of Central Florida, but its interface shows animated kids with big kind of blocky heads, which some say takes away the authenticity of the experience. <laughs> Though, you know, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, so I guess um, I was interested. I came across this story, stumbled across it this past week and, and thought interesting is it useful? What do you think? What are your gut reactions to being trained in virtual reality? Oh, man. I think it's a neat oh, no. trick. It's a neat trick. And if it gets people to, to come in and try it out, it, it's a gag. It's, but um, You won't get sick. I, you won't get sick. There is something to that. Um, when you first started, I was thinking I would gratefully put one on if it could take me away to a place of beaches and, and calm blue ocean. Yeah, I would wear that in class. Nice I would wear that in mm -hmm. class. Um, I think there are some inherent problems. Of course, there's going to be. But but we know that the more we can get pre-service teachers used to being in the environment, that that's all to the good. So In any way if, in any, any way, any, any way, way we can get them there. The more hours, yeah. the more experience they have with the sounds and the, and the environment, I think that's a positive thing. It can in no way replace being in a room with all of the activity yeah. going on and having to deal with actual yeah. students. And with f full acknowledgement, but, too, from this this teacher training program, I don't think they see virtual reality as a replacement for actual classroom experience, more of a supplement for it. Um, so they a good they, idea for a video game. In they acknowledge somewhere. that. Yeah, Jason, you're not even... <clears throat> yeah, that intro is my worst nightmare. Kids screaming, yelling, balls being thrown, paper balls. Like, I have it every year in August before school starts. Uh, I just kept thinking, like, the emotional aspects of teaching and this idea of VR and how... How do you encapsulate that into, you know, this 3D dimension, right? If you can't approach the kid, if you can't figure out what's going on, if you can't ask questions, if you haven't developed those relationships with the kids, it just becomes really difficult. And I just had an experience this week. I, uh, I bring my dog to school. as like uh, it was, was an experiment last year, but it was a one-year anniversary this week. And I, I let, every day, it was every hour, the, kid, the dog went out in the room and everybody got to pet the dog. And then the dog went out and this one student just started screaming, holy hell. I mean, just high-pitched voice and it just, I mean, it freaked me out. And she, she got up and she ran around the room and the dog's chasing her. And I'm just like, I said, I mean, I, I, I got a little loud and I said, you have to sit down. And the girl sat down and then she started like shaking. And you, no VR is going to be able to take that experience. And, and so I, I called the girl out in the hallway. I said, let's talk about this. What's going on? Like, what, what is, because she's then started to cry. And it's not the first student that's cried with me this year, but she's crying. And I'm like, talk to me. And she's like, you know, where I grew up, dogs were used as attack dogs. And so when I see a dog, you know, I, I, I freeze and I, I get really scared and I get really shaky. And she started talking about how the kids were going to treat her differently now because she was put into this situation. All of, all of this information comes out. And as a teacher, you're thinking, this, I'm 15 years in, and you have to embrace it. You have to, like, feel it. And she, I told her, I'm like, this happens not only in the culture that you grew up, but it happens in every culture. And I called the teacher down from, like, down the hall, and I said, come talk to the student and describe what happened last year with the football players who ran into the bathrooms when they saw a 20-pound dog in the hallway. I'm like, oh it, is, it is a universal feeling, and I didn't want her to feel as if she was out of place. 
So I feel like with VR, yeah, you can put yourself in a situation, you can see a kid throwing a paper ball, but until you're in there, until you're talking with the kids, uh, it just there's, there's no some replacement. Scenarios, for there's some teaching. scenarios that will never you, you will never be prepared there for. Needs to be a VR to... dog edition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Maddie, what are your yeah. thoughts? What are your gut reactions to the use of virtual reality as a training, as any kind of for, for any type of training for teachers? I mean, um, when when you restated that the purpose of the VR training is to just give you that visceral gut feeling, like I could see that as being kind of helpful for me. Like I cried on my first day of school teaching, you know, that first time when I was completely alone with the kids. I mean, by completely alone, I mean, I knew that no one was coming back. Like during student teaching, there were moments where I was by myself in the classroom, which but you had that safety technically net. illegal. Just side note for that. I just outed myself. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. you, you outed you outed your well, teacher. Yeah. Way too honest for this. Matt, cut that out. Uh, <laughs> but like I mean, I cried on my first day of school and I knew for sure for sure like I am alone. Now, yeah, I had my walkie. You get I think I feel like everyone can kind of get what I mean when I say I was alone. Like well, yeah, the I mean, kids so were running around. You're I never fully prepared yeah. until you you walk in and have your class for the first right. time. So if it's to like like I would I would use that as a hook for my management class. Like that would be the purpose in which I would use the VR training tools. Like, I'd have them all watch it, and then we'd all come back down to the training program and be like, so how'd you feel? And they'd be like, wow, like, that was pretty intense. I'd be like, yeah, it can be like that. I'm, gonna, I'm here to help you, like, teach you some strategies so that this isn't what your day looks like. And most of it has to do with things that I probably can't teach you using a headset. So, like, we're going to get to those emotions with the headset. I'd, I'd probably scaffold it in, like, sophomore, maybe, like, freshman year of the training program in college and do those like this is what it can be like this is what we're going to do these are some strategies we're going to teach in this intro class next year as a junior you're going to be in in, a, in an actual classroom and that's going to be maybe a chance so to it sounds like you strategies. would have i'd use it you would I have mean, benefited as a as a teacher yeah. trainee yourself you would yeah. have benefited from some limited uses of, of virtual reality and i think it's important that whatever they're showing you uh, in well, whatever venue, that it's real. Well, and that's the I other thing. I have some real concerns that about I was creating these. going to bring up because and in the article it said that the student all stereotypes the students and represented the, in trouble were black. I was yeah. like, uh, that's that's not okay. Like that's yeah. – you can't you can't do that. I think the article – Which was you said, which was, which, right. was, which was acknowledged in the Education yeah. Week article. This was a criticism that was brought up in the early mm-hmm. part of this, this kind of pilot program. I guess when you were going through teacher – Teacher preparation, um, looking back on that, what turned out to be, in hindsight, the most effective um, thing to, that prepared you for the actual classroom experience? Oh, do, you, do we want to say that? Do we want to say it at Everybody once? all together? <laughs> Three, two, one. Student, student teaching. teaching. Getting in the classroom. No, not for you? I never student taught. Oh, <clears throat> wow. bomb drop. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I'm actually but, listening to this thinking, right. yeah, you could have student taught, but I actually was day one in the how, classroom. How I was, was a grad yeah. cert kid from uh, in Avila. And so I graduated with a degree in biology and a minor in chemistry from Indiana. And then I went back and I started my program and I went, boom, right into the classroom. Because they need secondary schools need science teachers so much, right? It was high needs, yeah. yeah. And so I I got my job and I just started teaching. So you felt like Mm -hmm. a moralistic calling and then skipped the student teaching part. I never have. I don't have any (laughs) education degree except for my master's. So Maddie and and Rebecca, you both said student teaching at the same time. Getting in the classroom with real students in a real day on a real schedule with real sounds and smells yeah. and sights and just banking that time day after day. What does a Tuesday look like? Yeah. What does Wednesday look like? Um, Everyone's you know, going to have that time. answer. Everybody, Plus the countdown. Well, it's just 
over time, what does that classroom environment feel like? Mm -hmm. And until you get in there, and you can't just go visit for a while and leave, and it can't be a, a short term and, and do a few hours and then write a reaction paper. You have to really bank long term, mm -hmm. develop relationships with that class, and then see what that feels like. I mean, I would say that management is chronically undertaught from like, and by I'm drawing that not from anything I've read, so. I'm no, but drawing, that, I mean, that's I'm just a, that's drawing a, that from, from anecdotal evidence well, of you, myself and of that, teachers That's I've pretty widely to. either reported or, right. or research, what I think would back that contention yeah. out. That I think so, a lot of people feel, a lot of new teachers feel mm -hmm. underprepared yeah. in terms of managing their classroom. So, like, as far as that statement goes, I mean, the VR, like, teacher training thing, I think it does have a place, but from after reading that article, I would, I would not use that program primarily because of the representation issues. Like but you, if you, you cannot have a program that... But if they worked on it, we're able to balance, we're able to look at that aspect yeah. of it more critically. I mean, I, I would also kind of, just after reading that, my question is, like, how did that happen? Like, what team of people is creating this in which the product has 100% only black students being the ones in mm. trouble? So that's my other question is, like, who's creating that product? So... I mean, it might be easy to be like, oh, do some tweaks and then, you know, come out with something better. But I feel like the team needs to be given a look at because to, for that to be your initial product, I mean, that's not good. Like, that, that's bad. So I would look at who's creating it, too, because I'm not comfortable with whoever's in charge. <laughs> Our podcast today is sponsored by Teach for America Kansas City, which believes one day all children will have the opportunity to attain an excellent education. You can make an immediate impact on that mission in Kansas City. To find out how, visit teachforamerica.org or find them on Twitter at TFA underscore KC and on Instagram at TFA KC. Well, it's back. The Betsy Breakdown. Matt, cue the music. Well, we periodically look into what's going on with our Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. In this episode, it's a special edition of the Betsy Breakdown because Secretary DeVos was in no wrong answers neck of the woods recently. Very close, in fact, down the street, you might say. If you didn't know, Betsy DeVos is on a multi-state tour of schools and colleges, what the Department of Education touts as the Rethink Schools Tour. And as part of that tour, Betsy DeVos came to Kansas City, Missouri, where she toured a small private school called Kansas City Academy. Now, my day job is I work for the Kansas City Public Radio Station, KCUR. That's where we tape No Wrong Answers. And one of my colleagues at KCUR, Ellie Moxley, is our education reporter, and she covered Secretary DeVos's visit to Kansas City Academy. You know, this is a really small, progressive private school. I think when we think of private school, we think of, you know, affluent families sending their kids to, you know, these kind of elite prep organizations. And, and, and Kansas City Academy really isn't that. It's a school where um, a lot of the teachers tell me that, you know, they were awkward and their kids are a little awkward and they're really just kind of trying to find themselves. There are a number of students who, if they are not LGBTQ themselves, a lot of their friends are. Uh, they feel very strongly that they need to support trans rights. Uh, they're involved in different social protest movements such as Black Lives Matter. They, they advocate for uh, trans-inclusive feminism. You know, this is a very progressive school and it just seems a little odd that Secretary 
Secretary DeVos would be there. Uh, you talked to some of the school administrators in the lead up to her visit. What did they say? What, what was their understanding of, of why they were selected and, and why they were on her itinerary? <laughs> I mean, I think it really caught them off guard. Uh, they, I, The school uh, principal, uh, Corey Gallagher, described it as the most bizarre call he's ever gotten in his life. You know, he got this call two weeks in advance. That's that's a really short timeline from, you know, how this is kind of typically done. Usually these kind of school visits are these really coordinated media events. You have a lot of details well in advance. I know when Arnie Duncan was here in 2015, it was at the invitation of Kansas City Public Schools. And, you know, they had reached out and they've been working on that visit for probably six weeks in advance or so that they were, you know, reaching out to the office and, you know, they were confirming details with the media um, a good week or so in advance, whereas I didn't even know what time I was supposed to show up today until yesterday, probably at about 3.30. And there were protesters um, who were kind of outside across the street from this school um, in the lead up to when Betsy DeVos arrived and then throughout her tour. What were they saying? What was kind of the their 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 objections to her? You know, they were they were really challenging a lot of uh, you know, DeVos is a big supporter of education choice. She's very pro-charter, she's very pro-voucher. You had a lot of the crowd that was talking about, you know, protect our public schools, protect pe- public education. Um, what's interesting is KCA is a private school, and in probably in a lot of ways, it sounds like a lot of the families there would probably benefit from a system that opened up more school vouchers to them. But at the same time, they also really care about some of the things that protesters were, you know, uh, talking about, which was, you know, rights for LGBT students, um, support for victims of sexual violence, especially on college campuses, uh, anti-gun. So all of those values are ones that, you know, the students and the protesters share, even though this is kind of one of the schools, at least from kind of how the school is organized, it is a private school. And that has been something that that Secretary DeVos has supported. Did any students challenge her about, um, um, you mentioned kind of the the vocal population of, of LGBTQ students at this school. Did any of them challenge her about rescinding the Obama-era guidelines for, for bathroom use for, for transgender students? No, they didn't necessarily. I did see a lot of students who uh, were clearly dressed for the visit. They were wearing, I, I noticed one girl was wearing a nevertheless she persisted shirt. Uh, I did speak to a student who identifies as non-binary before the protests and before her visit today. I did not see them at school today. They may have been somewhere else in the building. Uh, I know that some students opted to to instead of interacting with the secretary or being in class during her visit, some of them did make the decision to kind of go to a safe space that the school had set up if they felt that they were going to be upset by her visit in some way. Well, that was my conversation with KCUR's Ellie Moxley. She's the education reporter who covered Betsy DeVos's visit. Now, back at the table with my teachers who uh, might have witnessed this visit by Secretary DeVos from afar, reading about it and, and so on and following it on social media. She was here. She was in your city. It what do you was, think? It was deeply disturbing. <laughs> Did you feel the disruption in the force? Yes. Did you notice it? Yes. Um, it was amusing to me that so many teachers... It was a big topic of discussion amongst colleagues. Mm-hmm. At your school. Go, should we go to the protest? Yeah. Are you going, Rebecca? This was on, you, this was on a school on a Friday. day. It was during yeah. the day. It was going to be in the TV, afternoon. For Could it. people go? There were, teachers talked about this. And really? it wasn't just me as a high flyer with a lot of vocal interest in this. And then... I don't know about yours. I think it was probably I got the same. First. I was like, it was yes. probably the same reaction, though. We all decided 
we had work to do. We stayed at work and yeah, did our job. We didn't. And we didn't allow her to be a distraction. Um, the, the way that this Rethink Public Schools is being approached from Indiana to Nebraska to Oklahoma to Kansas City, they're just randomly calling up schools. They're dropping in with no notice. They're sneaking in back doors. It's a huge disruption. Kansas City Academy offered kids a safe room. They offered them a counselor. They could take the day off. This is how disruptive this visit was from what could have potentially been a huge event from right. our Department of Education. And we heard, I mean... And we, it, it's laughable to me. Yeah, we, and we just that, listen to, to Ellie. And I, I should say Ellie also covered education in Indiana, covered uh, former Secretary of Education Arnie Duncan pretty extensively. And, and she was even a little bit surprised at kind of the, the under-the-radar way in which the, the itinerary was made up locally, how they kind of came in and came out with, with just, actually very well, little public as notice. As a media event. It doesn't give how, people time to really think, do we even want her there? To which my criticism would be, why'd you let her in the school? Well, I mean, I, I think... I don't like it. Because yeah. when the Department mm-hmm. of Education calls, no. Yeah. No. I think you give consideration to no, the we office. Talk, I this is a learning to, opportunity. No, this is a learning hold, opportunity. Why are you letting her go in front of students that you know that she is disenfranchising? Why are you letting her interact with minors that she is actively speaking out against, that she has not demonstrated respect for, that she does not support? Why are you doing that? And I've, We talked last time on this, and I, I want to... Just I'm done. I'll say it and I'm done. I'm pro us interacting with her. I am not pro her coming in to disrupt the school day. Mm. That's our job. That's what we should be doing. You can't just call up, especially where the culture at KCA is that the students have a voice in making these decisions. So she robbed them of that choice. She's not supporting them. And if you want to meet them and interact with our communities, set up a panel. Yeah. Set up a community panel. Invite parents. Invite community members. Students are welcome to come. You can talk to them and take pictures with them there. Why are we letting her into schools that she is going to actively work against? J- Don't let her in. Jason, what would you add <clears throat> a response? Yeah. Oh, I, what I was... Okay the students were No, the students were upset because you're right. They didn't have a voice. Yeah. But what happened next was the students decided we're not going to let our voice be taken away from us. I do love that. And they said, "All right, we're going to we're going to we're going to gather together, and mm-hmm. we are going to show uh, Secretary DeVos uh, what our school is really about." And those kids took the initiative. And the idea that you would not allow those kids to have a voice; those kids actually had a voice. They had a voice like probably no other kids have the opportunity because they got to. She got to meet kids who are non-binary. She got to meet kids who are LGBTQ. She she got to meet. Uh, is that going to impact her policy? But is that going to impact her policy? Policy I versus love it. I love the, the I love the interaction that they have, and yeah. I I'm not trying to rip on those kids at all. But ultimately, will that interaction flavor her policy in a way that is supportive of them? But it may it may not flavor her policy. Then but it doesn't it, but, matter. But it will it's, flavor the kids' policies as they move forward in their lives. We I you're, think we're thinking make, narrowly mm-mm. here, Maddie. We're thinking really no. narrowly. We gotta I think, think make a bigger we gotta think bigger statement. picture of what these kids are doing. I think these young would, kids who finally have a voice, who have the ability to speak up, who gave her a pamphlet, a booklet of that, like hand-drawn cartoons. Is she going to read it? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if she reads it or not. But I'm, I agree completely with Jason on this one. I'm it was out. the way the staff at KCA and the way the parents and the students responded when you have what is clearly a deeply, deeply held opposition to this person. Yeah. 
And they did. They objected. But this is the correct scholarly response in an right. academic setting. No. This is the response. This Has is how you respond to someone you disagree with. she's willing to interact on a scholarly level in a scholarly conversation? Is she demonstrating respect for that? Is she demonstrating change of mind for that? I think it would be a bigger political statement if we said, no, you can't come in. Then yeah, well, that yeah. creates a new cycle where it's like Betsy DeVos is trying to go on a tour and no one so will you're let thinking, her come in the so school So you're looking day. at this Which from one a, has more impact here? Like, from a strategic mm, standpoint. There would have been yes. another school attention. that would have said yes, though. Yes. There would have been another school. Right, but there's still a big pool of schools that say no. And then and there's the student and then, body and then you look that at was shut out. The, I mean, uh, this was. I think this mm -hmm. is a really interesting way for us to and for them to have an opportunity, a learning opportunity to how to respond given this when you right, have such a violent, deeply so held opposition to I it. I think it's passive. I think that it was a passive response, that someone comes and the status quo is you're hospitable and you let them in. And I'm saying she has done nothing but to they were, warrant that they were hospitable to a to a, they were hospitable, but also respectful, oppositional. Like was, yes. I think in a, in a respectful, um, in a respectful way. I love. I I really do like. If they'd planned it ahead, and if they'd had time to think, in which they were not which, given a lot of time to really think, we should it. say. You know, I mean, the story wasn't it a snap judgment piece? Like the fact that 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 the the way that we're even talking about this is through a snap judgment piece, and it's talking about the way that we're supporting children with policy already students that are that aren't getting the same protections and rights that we are and so you honest, don't feel, you don't I mean, appreciate the fact that no. a, a school any school but a school was was put in this position of yes. having to kind of like decide very quickly should we do right. this or should and we not and there's a reason cuz yeah. if they if she had a long enough time if people had a long enough time why do you think it's so short cuz people would maybe think and say no and she would be. She doesn't want that I, negative I think press. I think you're giving Betsy and her staff a lot more credit than they probably. <laughs> I don't, they I mean, didn't think I don't this know. through. They're looking around and picking names out of a, of a directory somewhere. Well, it's why, not strategic. I, I disagree. I, I think that I think I that when you the minute you say that they aren't being strategic about their disenfranchisement mm -hmm. of these groups, that that's giving her more power to be destructive to them. I'm like I don't I just don't like it. I don't like the way that it happens. Meet them in a panel, meet them somewhere else, or if they want to have that demonstration and give those kids a voice, they are welcome to invite her yeah. and I'm supportive of that. I just don't No don't easy like answers. It. The Betsy breakdown literally a breakdown this week. <laughs> so, yeah. But I appreciate the strong opinions, not an easy answer, but we'll go and there will be more Betsy breakdowns in the future. From time to time, we take a look at the latest research related to education. It's our research brief. This time, we look at a new study published in the journal Developmental Science. Its headline conclusion, preschool-age children displayed more altruistic behaviors after reading stories with realistic human characters than stories featuring anthropomorphized animal characters. In other words, based on this study, stories with real-seeming humans are better at teaching moral behaviors like sharing than stories with unrealistic, though possibly cuter, animal characters. Here's how the study worked. Described in Pacific Standard Magazine, researchers at the University of Toronto took 96 kids and broke them into three groups. One group read the book, Little Raccoon Learns to Share, with anthropomorphic animal characters. A second group read the same book, but with the animal characters replaced with human characters. I don't know if they changed the 
character's name from Little Raccoon, but that's beside the point. <laughs> and a third control group, which read a nonfiction book about seeds that had nothing to do with the theme of sharing. Before they began reading, all the children were given 10 stickers as a thank you gift for participating. They were also told other children had not been chosen to participate and would not get stickers. After reading and answering some questions about the books they read, the children were asked if they wanted to give some of their stickers to the children who had not participated and received any. It turns out the group who read the version of the raccoon book with human characters was more generous than the other two groups. The researchers concluded that the children who read about human characters were able to relate those characteristics like sharing to human behavior and act on it themselves, whereas the kids who read the version with animal characters attributed those characteristics and behaviors to the animals and did not necessarily bridge the the purported lesson of the book to their own lives. <laughs> it's just the, those raccoons are really generous. And as I don't, the, as I'm waiting the, for the next time I see a raccoon. Honestly. As the Pacific Standard Magazine article editorializes, this research may send parents the message that Though cute animals may be attention-grabbing, they may not be imparting the moral lessons we want them to. I only brought this up because I am the parent of a one-year-old oh. son, and we've been reading a lot of books with anthropomorphic animals. Please don't and as, stop. And as I look across Please the table stop. at you, Rebecca, you are wearing a shirt with what on it? What are you wearing? I am wearing my Charlotte's Web shirt. <laughs> In protest of this topic this week, please don't stop reading the I don't think, cute animal books. I don't think the point is to stop reading no. animal books. I am, I'm, first of all, so knocked out by the science <laughs> that there are adult people analyzing the sticker factor for I always, I always, kindergarten kids. I always and books. love reading the scientific journal, you know, uh, the methodology sections just to actually figure out it's how they got to their conclusion, like how the, they set up their studies. The variables in that particular study, uh, how close to, it has nothing to do with the book at this point when you're pre-K. How, how close to lunch was it? How many of them, how many of them needed to go to the restroom? What, what were they sitting on? Was oh the carpet gosh, scratchy? I didn't even think about there are was it a bear rug? Was it a bear rug? Kids bring well, this is the point of science. They're going to they're try to replicate I this love and see the science that people are working on here. How do you control? You the cannot kid control the kid variables on this one, and absolutely they're going to respond to it. This is where that this autopsy that we do as teachers to reading makes me crazy. This close reading strategy that we do, where you take the you take the joy of this story in the literature, and then you dissect it until all the life and the blood is out of it. Um, Kids are going to share their stickers if you read about the raccoon or if you read about trucks. They're going to share their stickers, and then you move on to the next story. Um, so this, this is know. an interesting point. We have two elementary school teachers at the table today who I assume you do a lot of reading with your kids, and you're saying mm -hmm. that don't overanalyze. Rebecca, this is the point you're making. You can don't, stop right there. Don't overanalyze. Don't, don't overanalyze what, you're giving, your, <laughs> what you're giving your kids. Full stop. I mean, the point here is to keep those stories coming, to keep that conversation going. It's not about the raccoon in the story or the pig in the story or the real person in the story. It's about the conversation you have after it. It's the conversation you have while you read. Are you empathizing with these characters? Mm -hmm. Are you finding relevance and connection for your student group with this story yeah. that you're sharing? Maddie. And that happens at the elementary level as well as more, even more effectively at the secondary level. Finding that relevance is that key, that hook. Um, nobody reads Lord of the Flies because you relate to it, but you read Lord of the Flies to empathize and share that common experience. Speak for yourself, Rebecca. <laughs> oh, my gosh, what? <laughs> oh, I, I must stop now and consider that. Someone else, go ahead. <laughs> but, Maddie, what do you think? I mean, you, yeah, you the teach... Same. 
I mean, that was a, that you wrapped it up really nicely with a little bow for me. I mean, also animals are engaging, so yes, they're they are. studying that. I know that, yeah. You know, like, would you rather? What if all of your books only had people? Then you wouldn't have Wilbur or Miss Miss Piggy Wiggle, and she's a person, but Winnie she the has Pooh. animal friends. Winnie the Pooh. We'll name any a number very hungry of shared characters that we have. Hobbs from Calvin and Hobbes. In mm-hmm. common. This, just really quietly in the this, background, I'm just going to scoot away and just list off all of the animals in the background while you keep talking. No, I mean, I think that the, that's pretty much the key is if you're doing, you know, two groups of students and you read one story and then you just kind of watch and observe you know, how much is anything going to sink in? Well, we talked about virtual reality technology earlier, and for many technophiles this past week was a banner week because of the unveiling of the newest iPhone. Apple CEO Tim Cook drew back the curtain, so to speak, on what is being dubbed the iPhone X. This is a higher-end iPhone. has a lot of bells and whistles, an edge-to-edge screen, 3D video, facial recognition software that unlocks your phone. Oh, yeah, and a reported price tag of $999. (sighs) Now, before you scoff, consider average prices for an iPhone right now already over $600. And some models right now run over $900. So there's already a market for it, as people would say. But I don't think a corporation that convinced us we needed an iPad after we already had an iPhone and an iPod and an iLaptop should be taken what? lightly. Watch. <laughs> and an iWatch. Uh, but really... I paid. But really, for our purposes today, this is the question I had in mind after reading about Apple's new iPhone. $1,000 for your phone, maybe you think that's reasonable or not, whatever, but if you had $1,000 to spend on something for your classroom, what would you buy? And Maddie's gear, she's, she's loading up. This is a surprisingly hard question. I just want to go back to... I laptop. <laughs> MacBook. MacBook. That's the word you were Steve, okay. Steve Jobs just rolled over in his grave. No, All right. Where's feeling, your black turtleneck, Matt? I'm feeling Maddie. very cheeky today. Okay. Um, experiences, probably. I do... Um, like for your kids? Yeah. I would love to have um, guest speakers come in and talk to them. Maybe an author. Maybe someone from... Um, I don't know, just like the business world, maybe even give them a chance to um, like vote and see someone that they wanted to come in. They co- those cost money. It to is get expensive guest speakers, yeah. mm-hmm. to have a guest speaker to come in. Um, so that would be really cool because we don't have a lot of experiences like that. Like, mm. you know, we don't often get to like roll out the red carpet uh, for an exciting guest. So mm. maybe that or maybe a field trip. Uh, Rebecca, what would you spend $1,000 on for your classroom? This one was a surprisingly hard question for me because it's not enough, first world problem, it's not enough to say, I need another bank of iPads. Mm -hmm. And it's too much. Or iLaptops. Or iLaptops. Or (laughs) any number of mechanicals. You can't spend $1,000 on markers, no matter, because there's never any markers, but you can't spend it on that. I thought about sticky notes for a while and then went. I'm buying Legos. I'm going to buy Legos. I'm going to buy... Enough Legos that everybody has too many. I'm going to buy $1,000 worth of Legos. What are you going to do? I don't know. <laughs> what? She's going to build I that iLaptop. You can, use, you can use Legos for everything. You can use them in every subject for every topic. You can do everything with them. I would buy $1,000 worth of Legos. And I think Lego would appreciate that. I've I heard would, the Legos kind of on tough times right now. I don't think so. I can't imagine. Are they? Well, relative. Me I mean, there's still a, a multinational toy behemoth, I, but they're, they're, their revenues are down a little bit. 
I oh want, my gosh. I want there to be enough of all the different sizes and shapes. I'm going to buy Legos. We're going to build things. A thousand bucks of Legos. Jason, what would you use a thousand dollars for in your classroom? I think I'm going to geek out here. Go for oh, it. Um, yeah. I actually decorated my whole classroom last year, repainted all the walls, like came in and did all that and all personal expenses uh, were mine. And um, I thought about getting like high benches for the lab so the kids had stools and so that they were actually uh, a little more comfortable than those, you know, low chairs. But then I thought about teaching and I have a double classroom and I have a big lab and we did a lot of research about 10 years ago in the district about surround sound. Whoa. Yeah. And so I have a tower right now, and I have a Britney Spears microphone that I wear every day. Whoa. Uh, yeah, yes. it's really awesome. Uh, but what I would love to do is then take the whole room and just make surround sound. I'd use $1,000 to get a system put into my classroom where wow. if the kids are in the back and they're doing a lab and I'm helping kids up in the study area of the room, I can talk to the kids in the back. I can pop a little button on the receiver, and I can do, I can do the voiceover uh, to the kids in the back and give them kind of time, and then it's I could flip it back around. It's a different job. I yeah, I mean, so I would, I would take that money in order to try and improve the academic successes of my kids via sound in the room. Good morning, Kansas City! Get <laughs> <laughs> the flamethrowers. No <laughs> I would like to take the field trip to see Mr. Stoyan. Oh my now. gosh. That's cool. You, I, I didn't know that you had that. You know uh, how some podcasts yeah. are like, see on our website for a picture of Mr. Stoyan's <laughs> Brittany Mike. I think we should yes, do that. Yes, we need that. <laughs> All right, well, stay tuned. We're going to do Kids These Days after the credits. This episode of No Wrong Answers is sponsored by Teach for America Kansas City. No Wrong Answers retains total editorial control in what our teachers say are their personal opinions, which may not reflect the official policies of the schools and districts that they work for. Like us at Facebook, follow us on Twitter, just search for the No Wrong Answers podcast by Fountain City Frequency. When you go to our Facebook page, log on to our shared community feedback Google Doc and give us some ideas for future shows and ask us questions for an upcoming Ask the Teachers segment. Find us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Once you find us, subscribe and leave us a review. It helps. There are no other podcasts like ours giving you a teacherly take on the world. If you've enjoyed the conversation you've heard, subscribe, leave us a review, and keep the conversation going. Now, kids these days, Rebecca, what are your kids kids into? Two two. things, okay. Um, This week, even though we're just in mid-September, the Halloween stuff is out at the stores. We are it's already on. Already about Halloween. Costco has all the Christmas stuff uh, out. We're not there yet, kid-wise. But they are talking Halloween. I have confiscated Halloween candy. They are they are ready for Halloween. Um, it, the movie, came out, and that has not been helpful. Um, we've talked more about that. And next week is uh, the Lego Ninjago movie comes out. My kids are excited about the Green Ninja and Master Wu. Jason, what are your kids into? Well, I have all three things. I'm going to top that. Uh, this past week was Suicide Awareness Week. <laughs> I didn't realize this was a competition. Maddie has seven oh now. Uh, and so our kids talk a lot about mental health education and the, the, the discussions that are going on amongst the kids at the high school level. Uh, as far as technology goes, Dynasty Warrior 9 came out as well as 2K18. But for your vocabulary lesson of the day, listeners... I was in class waiting for that little light to pop on, and some kid in the back room said, Mr. Staliga, that watches ice. And I said, well, actually, it's a Swiss Army. Oh they go, gosh. no, it's ice. Me. Yeah, they That's go, it's it. ice. And I go, I go, ice. And they're like, yeah, it's fresh. 
it's cool. You know, it's like it's shiny. I'm like, oh, it's bling. And they're like, oh, we don't ice, use bling ice, anymore. Baby. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like it icy. Jason. <laughs> it was great. It was the first time I've heard it. I was excited. Rebecca hasn't <laughs> heard it. Kyle's it. over here going, I can't wait to use that in my in my uh, next morning ice, edition. Ice, uh, yeah. This is going to be great. I'm not sure I can use but it. Think about that. Ice Ice Baby came out in like 89. So we're like 30 years later. I'm the cycle is coming back, everybody. Oh my gosh. Maddie. Yes. Okay, that life. does kind of fit with like the clothing trends and stuff. Yeah. Oversight. Okay, I'm You're welcome, focused. Maddie. What, what are your kids photos. into? Your kids are into baby photos. <gasps> yes, um, I have. I I have lunch with kids every once in a while just to get to know them better. And we were talking, and for some reason, we were talking about our future babies. Which, whether or not that is or is not <laughs> a weird topic of conversation, <laughs> they brought it up. They were like, "Miss B, do you have any kids?" And I said, "No." And they were like, "Oh my gosh, you should name your kid after me." That happens all oh, the time. Oh, that, that does. That happen. happens all yes, the time. Yes, yes, so that's yes. how it was. It wasn't like a weird. That was the whole flow of it's the usually conversation. The, the kids who say that are usually the kids you would never name your kid after. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> what happened is there were two of them, and I combined their names, which I'm not going to say on the air to protect their right. privacy, but right. it was hilarious. <laughs> and then after we did that and giggled a bunch, um, we talked about how cute we think really chubby babies are and so i said oh my gosh bring in your baby photos and that has started like two weeks of a wave kids i don't know are like bringing up these baby photos it's really all of my kids these days are you had to be there it's sweet Mm -hmm. though that's sweet it's hilarious I had a grandma email me, and the email line was chubby baby photos. <laughs> and it said, Dear Miss B, my student wanted me to send you these mm-hmm. because he said that's how you've been starting every morning. It's like I'll put their picture up underneath the desk. No questions asked they get to talk. <laughs> by the grandma, He's by adorable. the way. He's <laughs> adorable. He's in a I have, I've seen a kid in a bucket. I've seen a kid in a little, like, Valentine's box. It's really fun. <laughs> Well, Man, good. mine was lame. You won. No, this is, it's not a contest. It's not a contest. Kids these days is not a contest. We're all, but I will take that check. We're all equally <laughs> trending. <laughs> Thanks to our teachers this week, Maddie Burkemper, Rebecca McIntosh, Jason Staliga. Get well, Rebecca and Jason. Thank hope you. you stay well. Thank you. Thanks, as always, to Matt Hodap, who produces the podcast. Thank you to KCUR 89.3, Kansas City Public Radio, where we tape, enjoy... I have a wrong script here. So I'm trying to... <laughs> and, kids, and kids remember. So I was reading, then I realized that's not going to be relevant, so I tried to make something up. Enjoy the next week of school and your kids, and stay healthy. And kids, Thanks, Kyle. Remember. remember. And I'm Kyle Palmer, nice. and remember, kids, be nice to your teachers. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>